What London Can Be is brought to you by London Community Foundation, an organization dedicated to improving communities across London and Middlesex County. Welcome to What London Can Be, the podcast where we navigate our shifting world, shine a light on the issues our city is facing, and explore the innovative Made in London solutions to critical challenges in our community. I'm Diane Silva, Director of Philanthropy at London Community Foundation, and today I'll be speaking with Skylar Frank, Executive Director of the London Environmental Network. Her passion for the community and the environment shines through in everything she does, and I'm so glad to have her on the show today. Hi, Skylar. How are you today? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm great. So good to have you on the show. And I'm really glad that um, the focus of today's show is to be talking with you about the environment. So for our listeners, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Absolutely. Like, where did you grow up? And yeah. Yeah, I grew up in Georgetown, which is a town near Toronto. Um, And then I went to university at King's University College in London, Ontario. And I went there because I really wanted to take the social justice and peace studies program, uh, which is a very unique program. And there's lots of experiential learning. So going on trips and being in the field. Um, So I took that for four years and moved to London in 2009. So I've been in London for about 12 years. Um, I live in the Coves neighborhood, which is a nice ESA, an environmentally significant area. So lots of hikes. Uh, And I've been at the London Environmental Network where I work since 2017. So I've been the executive director there. Um, Yeah, and pretty much I have had zero thoughts about leaving London since I moved here because it's just a really nice city to live in. Well, that's great. We're very lucky to have you. And also, because you did describe your educational background, what led you to be the ED, Executive Director of the London Environmental Network? Sure, yeah. Um, Originally, why I wanted to go to take uh, Social Justice and Peace Studies at King's is uh, I always had a strong passion for justice. So I remember my first protest was one that my mom took me to, and it was to support the teachers and stand in solidarity when there are um, some provincial funding cuts to teachers. And uh, ever since then, I've just been really passionate about trying to make the world a better place. Um, and when I was taking my undergrad at King's, the environment really spoke to me because it felt like it was underrepresented. There is, you know, a lack of funding going towards environmental programs and environmental initiatives. Um, and I was really inspired by what Reforce London was doing in London. So I started volunteering for that environmental organization in university and stayed volunteering with them, doing tree planting, organizing events, doing outreach booths um, throughout university. And when I graduated, I started working there um, a year after I graduated. Wow, great. And for our listeners um, who may not know what the London Environmental Network is, can you tell us a bit about what you guys do? Absolutely. Yeah, we're a network of about 47 environmental groups in the city. So it originally started as a joint initiative between Reforest London and Thames Tablet Land Trust. And they determined that there is a need and a gap in the community to have a bit of a unified collective voice for the environmental sector. And together, they put together a a grant application, got funding and launched the network. And so that started in 2015. And since then, we've been supporting environmental groups with capacity building workshops, promotions, communications. We work together on projects, um, kind of act as backbone support for a variety of initiatives. And we run a couple of different programs as well, like Green Economy London and Environmental Action Incubator. Um, but for the most part, we're trying to coalesce the environmental sector so that there is a unified, unified voice, um, unified advocacy requests, 
and uh, are communicating both to and from the environmental community on issues in the city. Great. And you did mention the Green Economy London. Uh, can you describe how that really ties into the environmental, sorry, to the London Environmental Network? Absolutely. Yes. Um, through generous support from the London Community Foundation and the City of London, we launched the Green Economy London program in 2019. And the program helps businesses, mostly small to medium-sized enterprises. So we're really looking at, you know, um, people that have maybe five to 20 employees. And we're helping those businesses set and achieve sustainability targets. So um, assessing their facilities and, and looking at how much um, emissions they emit through their utilities, looking at how much water they use, how much waste they produce, and uh, trying to help them set a target to make a reduction. A lot of these groups are really keen to make reductions, but maybe they don't have the capacity or the information in order to know what project would benefit the environment the most or which one they could afford with the, ne the next upgrade they do. So we like to think of our team as a bit of like an environmental SWAT team that's hopping into people's facilities, um, going through what they're using and how they can make those reductions. Um, and we've currently got 42 businesses and organizations that are members of that group. Uh, and a variety of them are setting targets in emission wastewater reduction. And a lot of them are doing our environmental stu stewardship target. Um, so that incorporates habitat restoration or tree planting or um, you know, maybe having a compost bin at work, and those give them points towards an environmental stewardship target. Excellent. So um, I'm really encouraged to hear that a lot of local businesses are engaging with the Green Economy London, and uh, and you touched on some stories there too, which is great to hear. So you are seeing more uh, businesses, you know, that like you said, the mid-sized to smaller range, really embracing sustainability, or are they are you are you seeing that a lot more are signing up uh, and approaching you guys? How how are you seeing this play out? Yeah, I was super pleasantly surprised with how many people signed up during the pandemic because we were, I will say, at the beginning of COVID, quite worried that, you know, environmental issues and sustainability issues might fall by the wayside while people are trying to improve their health processes in their workplace. Um, it would probably make sense because there is a limited amount of resources and staff time to be able to dedicate to other projects. But since the pandemic started, I think we've had eight or nine people join um, or organizations join. And most notably, um, the largest one that joined was Libro Credit Union. So uh, we're helping them do baselines for all of their facilities um, because they're also really keen to reduce their environmental um, impact. And um, in the last month, we've actually had three more businesses join. So the Church Key, which is a restaurant downtown, who's really keen on reducing um, food waste and also uh, looking to do different improvements in their kitchen and on their lights. Um, and we also had a food truck, a vegan food truck join that wants to reduce their emissions. So they're driving around, dropping off food. You know, are there more sustainable ways that they could be doing that? So um, I was really encouraged to see that throughout COVID. There is a strong interest in sustainability. And I think uh, it gave the opportunity for some folks who are working from home, maybe to to look at a new project that they haven't had time to look at. That's great. Really nice to hear these local stories happening. Um, what are some of the environmental issues that have been on your mind more recently and that you'd like people to know more about? Sure. I think the top two that come to my mind um, would be climate change, which is always top of mind, but then also the circular economy, which I think is starting to gain a little bit more traction. Um, I've been presenting in the last month at a couple different virtual events. And, and one of the questions that keeps coming up is, 
you know, with COVID happening, what about all of the PPE that's being used, like uh, the masks and the, the gloves and are people properly disposing of it? Is it going to end up in our waterways? So um, it's forced us to reflect a little bit more about the importance on the circular economy. Uh, and I think there are lots of businesses in London that that address that. So circular economy essentially is we don't want to be creating things that are going to be sent to landfill. Um, we want to be able to reuse items. We want to be able to recycle them, repurpose them. Um, and some examples of that ho- happening locally is on the move organics, which delivers food products over the past year, they've been shifting to a lot of zero waste packaging. So you can order um, lentil seeds, let's say, which used to come in plastic or paper car- um, packaging. Now they come in um, a glass jar and you return that and you get reimbursed for your dollar for the glass jar that you used. Uh, so that circular economy concept, I think, needs to happen more and more. And and we've been seeing it with some of the different businesses, even Reimagine Co., which opened a zero waste grocery store where you can bring in containers and fill in your items. So, you know, often people's grocery store visits contribute a lot to waste because lots of things are packaged in plastic or cardboard and Reimagine Co. is doing their part to try and help people reduce those. Um, and then, yeah, environmental issue number one is to me always climate change. Um, it's a combination of, of course, reducing our emissions collectively and then uh, actually increasing the carbon sequestration. So planting trees and doing some more ecosystem restoration. Um, so I'm always really keen to see cycling infrastructure projects go through. And in the past year, um, London Cycling and the cycling community in the city of London were able to get a couple million dollars to invest in some of our cycling infrastructure. So um I love I love seeing that. I'm always excited to go down a new path that's been created. Uh, they're doing some work right now, actually, on Riverside um, to do a cycling path. And I'm like super excited when it's all done and I get to go down it for the first time. Very good. And um, now you got me thinking, what about our river, uh, which is a huge part of London's identity? How important is this to is our river to the health of our community? And are we doing enough to protect it? I'm just I'd love to know your thoughts about this. Yeah, I think um, the river is an integral part of our community. It runs right through it. And I think a lot of people enjoy the river and they see the value when they're walking along it, along the Thames Valley Parkway Trail um, and being able to to enjoy the ecological value it provides to the community. Um, I think we, we, of course, could always be doing better to be protecting it. So a lot of issues come from um fertilizers off a farmer's field and then uh, sewage being um dumped in the river when there's an extreme weather event which is going to happen more and more often um so those are kind of two of the bigger ones but of course there's always other issues like um small pollution or garbage ending up in the river and i do think we're we're there are a lot of groups working on it so for example alice middlesex is a nonprofit that works with farmers to put um, ecosystem buffers along the river so that the the nutrients stay on the land and they don't get washed away into um, the water system and that prevents algae blooms in lake erie so our water goes through london down through chatham kent and then um, ends up in lake erie and then we actually pump back the water to london from lake erie so it's 85 percent of our drinking water comes from lake erie and uh, it's really important that we need to protect the water quality, not only for London residents and for the ecosystems along the river and into the, the Great Lakes, but then also um, for indigenous communities along the river who, who use that as their primary drinking source. Um, there are other groups like Antler River Rally, which does annual or monthly cleanups where they remove um, garbage from the river. 
And um, the city of London is also uh, trying to separate all their combined sewers in the city. So there's about, I think, 15 kilometers of combined sewers that are still um, causing overflows with extreme weather events. The city is trying to separate those. So when you see construction downtown, um, a lot of it is actually for that separation purpose. And the federal government announced some upgrades to the Greenway Pollution Control Plant. So there should be a more capacity um, at that facility that would prevent those overflows from happening. So I think people are aware of the issue of, of the water quality and trying to improve it. Um, they're taking action on it. It does take some time. So, of course, more investment from levels of government could accelerate that. Um, but I do think they are trying to work towards the health of the, the river. Yeah. And you touched on something that I want to, I would like you to unpack a little bit more. So you talked about how our waterways, you know, impact people and even our river, and particularly with the Indigenous community. How do environmental issues intersect with inequality? Yeah, they're constantly intersecting. I think one main reason is just because, you know, humans are part of the ecosystem, part of nature. And, and when we have issues that are social or economic in nature, they still impact environmental issues. So a couple of like local environmental issues that deal with inequality, like you said, are, are, um, uh, boil water advisories. So, uh, Oneida and Muncie, Delaware and Chippewa of the Thames are all downriver, um, along the Thames or Deshkanzibi River. And, um, some of them have been on and off oil water advisories because they do get their primary water sources, the Thames River. And if that water is, um, not clean or if it has E. coli and it can't be treated properly, um, that unfortunately means that folks that are living on reserve have to buy bottled water, which is an increased cost. Um, and is really not fair or equal because people in London are able to turn on their taps and, and have um, public drinking water. So that's that's a, a very big local issue um, that uh, we do have a couple of blog posts on our website that that talk a little bit more about that in detail. Um, but there are other ways that environmental issues intersect with inequality. So like, for example, with a plastic straw ban or plastic bans, um, if we just banned all plastic straws, it might be nice from an environmental lens, but there are neat accessibility issues that people ignore if, if that's what they're advocating for. So um, being able to, you know, try to come up with uh, the best solution that works for both the environment, but then people who 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 need those resources or who maybe need um, that resource for accessibility needs. Uh, so it's not always a cut and dry, easy kind of like we can't, we have to stop doing this, can't do this anymore. Or we have to start doing it this way. Um, a lot of these issues have to be dealt with in consultation with people that are impacted by those changes. Yeah, and I really appreciate you highlighting this and kind of like what are the realities and how it impacts day-to-day -day people in our community. And um, and you slightly touched on this too uh, previously that, you know, climate change to me, like it, it's a big and sometimes often controversial topic, right? There's people that are pro climate change and believing that this is something that's real, that's impacting uh, our environment, and others just feel like it might be a hoax. But what we do see in the headlines is that Canada is, you know, one of the top, I believe, top ten uh, producers of of polluters. Um, so, in your opinion. Uh, what are what have our federal and provincial governments? What have they been doing to address this issue? And do you feel like more needs to be done? More always needs to be done, Diane. Yes, yes. absolutely. Um, so, 
I would say federally, uh, they did sign on with a variety of different protocols and targets, uh, one most notably being net zero by 2050, which is also London's goal. Um, I'm hoping to see that actually be net zero by 2040 and actually that we have our emissions in London and also in Canada by 2030. Um, these are fairly ambitious targets, but if they are not achieved, the results um, could be fairly catastrophic and um I'm reading a book right now that's kind of envisioning two different choices. So a world where we make the changes that we need to make and the world where we don't. And of course, the world that we don't uh, make the changes we need to make in the next 10 years is obviously much more dreadful. So we're trying to avoid that. Um, and I think a lot of that goes to targets are nice and I think they're really helpful, but they also need to be followed up with budgets and actions. And unfortunately, a lot of times at different levels of government, setting a target or making a declaration, is, it's fairly easy and it doesn't cost anything. Um, but then backing those up with with annual benchmarks or every other year benchmarks to see like, okay, if we need to get to this by 2050, what is our target for 2025? And then what are the actions that are actually going to be able to, to make those impacts? Um, so I'd love to see larger investment in green infrastructure. So tree planting, um, rain gardens, bioswales. I'd also love to see larger investment in public transit and cycling infrastructure. So we're reducing our emissions from driving. I'd love to see investment and action in building retrofits. So in London, the majority of our emissions primarily come from vehicle use, but then next is household um, heating. And then after that is uh, commercial and industrial um, buildings heating. So we really do have to be retrofitting our residential, commercial, industrial and government buildings so that they're not um, causing emissions through through the burning of natural gas to heat up those buildings. So a lot of the solutions are there. It's just being able to invest in those um, pieces of in infrastructure and prioritize them. Right. And um, so this is a two-part question. So what can the individual do, everyday Londoner do, to contribute uh, in the fight against climate change? And also from the perspective of the pandemic, why is it important to pay attention to sustainability and what we're doing to the environment uh, and climate change? If you could expand on yeah, that. Absolutely. Yeah. So the individual plays a very important role in uh, tackling climate change because as a collective of individuals, we control society. So um, the primary thing I, I try to ask people to do is first, like, look at your own household um, and how can you make reductions? There's a really nice tool out there called Project Neutral. You can fill it out um, and it'll give you a carbon calculation for your household and give you action cards that you can do to make reductions. The next thing I'd say is get engaged politically or civically, whatever floats your vote, um, to try and make that change in your community and in within your government. So I encourage people to volunteer on local campaigns or volunteer for an environmental group or, um, you know, vote for somebody who talks about climate change on their platform. Um, vote for somebody who you think will, will support the, the values that you have and the sustainability that you want for your community. Um, so that's another way people can get engaged. And then they also have power within their workplace. Uh, so folks are going to work and they notice that, you know, we don't have compost bins at work or we don't have, we don't recycle or we kind of look like we recycle, but I know it goes out with the trash. Like you can talk to your boss or, or whoever who runs your office and, and have a conversation at least and say, 
you know, I'd really love to work for a place that values the environment sustainability. And, and I think employers are getting on board with, with those changes. So um, using your voice in whatever way that you have influence is one of the most important things people can be doing. And uh, going back to, uh, you know, our recovery phase into the pandemic, why is it important or how is it important? Uh, or sorry, I should say, how does environmental sustainability play into our recovery for the COVID-19 pandemic? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't use the word opportunity because I know that, uh, you know, COVID has been a terrible experience for pretty much everybody to varying degrees. Um, but there is a, this is a, there is a time and a moment right now that we have where people are working from home, um, you know, and, and industries have been disrupted. Um, you know, things have changed. We're not driving around as much as we used to. We don't need as many fossil fuels. So there is a, a time and a place and a moment right now that we have to be making those changes. So maybe it is that businesses say, hey, telecommuting works for us. We, do, we don't need these as many buildings as we have um, before to house all of our employees because they're working from home. Um, and we could renovate some of these buildings and, and use it as housing. And that would reduce the need for a new housing development to go on the edge of the city and, and increase our urban sprawl. So um, I think there's lots of innovative solutions we could be doing right now and definitely investing in in a new way of of running um, businesses and also uh, prioritizing where a government budget goes. So instead of investing in fossil fuel extraction industries, maybe it's time to be investing in clean technology. So paying for people to get trained on solar panel or windmill production and then having investments in that kind of infrastructure. Um, so I'd really love to see just, you know, given that we have the time and the moment um, for the uh, recovery efforts to be directed in that way. Wonderful. And what are some projects or initiatives that you're really excited about that are going on right now? Absolutely. Um, I feel like it's tooting our own horn a little bit, but not really. So we do have an environmental action incubator um, that we run and we pick six projects a year from the community that just need a little bit of help and support in order to get them going. Uh, and we've actually just recently announced our 2021 um, projects. And I always like these because they're not you know, ones that are just running as part of the average operations of an environmental group. It's kind of something new and exciting. Um, so one of the projects is a community moth up where a volunteer and volunteer groups will be going out and removing gypsy moth um, seed packages from the sides of trees. And gypsy moths are an invasive species that are um, fairly devastating to a lot of our urban forest canopy. So having volunteers remove the gypsy moth seed, um, sorry, gypsy moth eggs before they hatch in the spring is really cool. So that's like relying entirely on, on volunteer power. Um, another one of the environmental action incubator projects is um, being run by Indigenous women who is collecting heritage native seeds from uh, her community and growing them and then being able to, to give those seeds as gifts to the community and maintain the, the biodiversity of those seed cultures. Um, another one of the, the projects is Indwell's bike share program. So, um, we're supporting Indwell in, in acquiring, uh, three to four bikes for their, uh, facility. And then tenants are able to take the bikes and borrow them for the day and then bring them back. Um, and they might not have otherwise been able to afford a bike. Um, and it's again, an emission free way of getting around town. Um, so I love seeing those kinds of projects just because they're not, you know, I love everything all of our environmental members do, but these are kind of one-off, like 
what's percolating in the community? What does the community want to do? And I really like that because what you just shared, these are easy, manageable things that we can all do, right? And um, I, I love how you know anyone anyone can participate and help out and address some of these bigger issues, but in a gentle way, right? So I, I love that. Um, do you personally have any goals or big ideas that you would love to pursue someday? Yeah, uh, I work with an amazing group of people and we kind of every now and then brainstorm these different ideas that are like pie in the sky, big projects. Um, one of the ones that we would love to see in the next 10 years would be community energy grids. So um, right now, our energy grid is fairly decentralized. A lot of it comes from um, nuclear power and then some from natural gas burning and some from windmills and um, solar panels. And that's a provincial energy grid, but I'd love to see London and smaller communities mo move towards community energy grids. So like, you know, maybe my neighborhood in the coves has some solar panels and a windmill and we provide like the 300 homes in our community access energy from that community energy grid. So I, I feel like it's kind of lofty just because it would require so much red tape to be removed. Uh, but I think it would be one, I think it's the way that we're headed. Like we want to be able to be self-sufficient and resilient to energy shocks and we want to be able to produce our own green energy. Um, but I also think it's possible just because we have the resources, it's just changing policy and red tape to be able to do it. And I'm positive with your leadership and people like you that can really advocate for things like this. You can really rally uh, the community together behind you for sure. And to get there, it's just getting that political will, right, into shaping policy. No, I, I, I agree with you. Um, so finally, what do you think London can be and how do you think we can get there together? Yeah, I think I give a little hint of it with clean energy grids, but I do think London can be and will be and needs to become self-sufficient as do many other communities across Canada. And that means being able to provide for the needs of the residents um, from clean drinking water to quality jobs to access to healthy and affordable food that's grown locally and harvested locally. Um, I think it also means that London Londoners will be able to move around the city easily and completely emission-free. So options like Walking and biking are very accessible to get to work or to school. And our, our buses are already supposed to become electric, but being able to ride an electric bus around the community. I'd love for London to um, become more of a city of neighbors. So we hear that fairly often that Londoners uh, really love and care about the community and their neighborhood and they know their neighbors. And I'd like to see more of our communities become 15 minute neighborhoods where residents can walk to the grocery store or to their community garden. They can easily walk to transit. They can get to their work locations pretty quickly and where kids can walk safely to school. Um, and I think being able to localize a lot of that reduces emissions, but also improves our social fabric between neighbors. And I want all Londoners to have a home and feel like they belong in the community. And I think a lot of there's a lot of work being done out in the, um, the housing community that's been really excellent to see. And I've been so inspired by some of the social housing projects that are happening and going on in Soho and, and in all this village. So I know that we can move in that direction if we're opening in the effort. Um, and I think what needs to happen for all those goals to be possible is just focusing our efforts on achieving them. And I think it's equally, if not more important for us to stop doing things that get in the way of that. So things like spending 
you know, more money on widening roads or adding to urban sprawl on the edges of, of city or subsidizing fossil fuels at the federal level. We need to stop spending money on those kinds of things and start spending that money on building the community infrastructure that I outlined. Uh, so I think it's possible. It's just reprioritizing the things that we need um, to make the city more resilient and more green. Well said. And I'm just curious, how do you think London compares to other areas in Ontario? How do you think we're faring in terms of the the dialogue with sustainability? I think we're probably fairly on par. Like most um, municipalities have declared a climate emergency. So I think that cities are starting to take it seriously. And in fact, the municipalities are really leading the drive towards um, becoming more green and resilient, um, especially in Ontario. I think municipalities are taking the lead role in trying to develop their own climate emergency action plans and set their own targets. Um, I think there are ways that we can always improve. And London, you know, does have a fairly um, large urban sprawl, and that contributes a lot to our emissions. And if we were building more inwards and upwards and following the London plan, um, we would be able to, I think, be a little further ahead and reduce our emissions more quickly. Uh, but overall, I think most municipalities in Ontario recognize that climate change is an issue they have to address. And if they don't address it in the next 10 years, it will take up more and more of their budgets in you know, 2040 and 2050. And I think they want to get ahead of that. Great. Well, Skylar, thank you so much for your time. I really hope that our listeners are more encouraged to check out the London Environmental Network and to learn also more about the Green Economy London and to even follow along your work. So good for you. Thank you so much for all that you're doing uh, around this space and environment, which is significant because it impacts all of us, our day-to-day lives at the end of the day. Absolutely, it does. So thank you for your time. Uh, on this podcast and I do look forward to us staying in touch awesome thanks so much and thanks for everything the London Community Foundation does for the environment it's always appreciated it's our pleasure and I know we could do more but you know (laughs) we'll get there (laughs) yeah we're all working towards it exactly thank you so much thanks thank you for joining us for this episode of What London Can Be look for us on Apple Podcasts Google Play Spotify Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts To learn how to subscribe to this podcast and for more information about today's guest, visit us at lcf.on.ca slash what London can be. If you like this podcast, tell a friend and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You'll find links on our website. Thank you again for joining us.